Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Tucker Carlson released a statement last night, specifically at 8 p.m. Eastern, his first comments since getting fired from Fox News, and they were compelling, as you would expect. We play it all, and I break it all down before I launch into media and political news, plenty of headlines as well. Our guest today is Raven Harrison, a conservative political strategist. She's got a really unique background, and we get her thoughts on polling data, but perhaps more interesting, what in the polls might actually matter, because it's very hard to tell. We see all these numbers flying at us, and will any of it make a difference when we all go to vote in a year and a half? All that to come. Let's get into it. Yesterday, at precisely 8 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we got a video from Tucker Carlson, who was discussing what's going on in very vague fashion. Uh, Zach, do you have that handy? Let her rip. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true and a bunch of hilarious people also a lot of those it's got to be the majority of the population even now so that's heartening the other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are they're completely irrelevant they mean nothing in five years we won't even remember that we had them trust me as someone who's participated and yet at the same time and this is the amazing thing The undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? Okay, pause. It's been a long time. I'm going to interrupt a number of times because it's all it's all very brilliant, but it's also a as typical Tucker. There's a lot of performance art in this as well. Um, a couple of things that struck out that struck me. First of all, the fact that he released it when his show would normally go on, I thought was pretty brilliant in terms of uh, being able to get attention. Everyone seemed to sort of drop what they were doing and pay attention when he put this out there. It's only a couple of minutes, so it's not particularly long. Uh, his complimenting of people being funny and terrific is very consistent with what I've known about Tucker. Um, I don't know him particularly well. Um, I've been on his show a number of times, more than any other show on Fox, and he's very good about keeping up with text messages. So generally, when I text message him, he will message back and he'll chat with you as long as you want. And it's one of the perks of, I guess, being in this industry is that he's apparently willing to do that with just about anyone he (laughs) he finds remotely interesting, good, bad or indifferent. And uh, his point about how he really likes people is true. There's nothing about his life that uh, I would say uh, is is contradictory to that. And then him saying that this laundry list of issues that we don't talk about, including corporate power. I just love that, that he just kind of puts that in there somewhere in the middle. Clearly, that is the issue at hand, that Fox News and the mercurial billionaire 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch, who allegedly has not even seen Fox Business, which is one of his own networks, and he's never watched it, 
would just all of a sudden tire of a guy or feel like he's more trouble than he's worth, and then he's out. That is uh, a just unbelievable, unbelievable uh, thing to just kind of wedge in there, which I thought was was pretty great. And him even being somewhat self-deprecating in a lot of the debates we see in the media and on TV and on cable news, et cetera, that we're not going to even talk about them in five years, I thought was also great. So all this is so good. This is... Uh, it, this is why I think Tucker is so popular. Is so far, if you are someone who is taking this message at face value, I think you're already into it. If you're someone who is a deep scholar of uh, media and language and communications and want to do a PhD thesis, there's so much layered into this. So obviously, I'm delighted uh, at the start. Let's continue. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. Pause. This moment is too I mean, inherently that, That's ridiculous. my favorite part. And and there's a, we're, we're building up to a pretty great conclusion. But that's my favorite part, the saying no one believes the orthodoxy right now. No one believes them. No one's lives are improved by them. And this is a refrain you're probably going to hear me make as we head closer to the election season. Because Joe Biden, who is by far the front runner, not even close, given the way the system is built, he built the system. That's the whole point. He, more than any other person on the planet, built the system. And you're going to get a lot of lazy takes that Joe Biden is some sort of pawn of the establishment. No, no, no. Joe Biden is the establishment. He is the system. He built the system. He built it for himself. And the people who built the system never get less powerful, no matter how bad they do. No matter if they meet the one criterion fun to say criterion, not criteria, the one criterion that should matter the most, which is does this individual empower make people's lives better in this country? It's really the only one that matters. You can say you're a single issue voter. You can say you only care about abortion. You only care about guns. You only care about taxes. You only care about war, whichever is your issue. None of it really matters unless you can be on the plus side of did you make people's lives better? That's it. So how many people can say that in this country who are elected? How many people can say that who have a great microphone, a broad audience, a popular account on social media? How many of you can actually say that? And, and that is the measure of a man in a lot of ways. So I just love that he puts that out there. It just is very clearly, he's a clear thinker, needless to say. Continue. To continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. 
I hope that's true. And the end note is more positive, more upbeat than I feel. And I know this about getting to know Tucker the, the limited way I have, that he does feel that way. He does feel like, as a free speech warrior, that if you can say the words, there is hope. Sometimes I feel like the words fall on deaf ears. Sometimes I feel like the people who are actually telling the truth, the people who are trying their best to get the word out, are just so overwhelmed by the establishment, so overwhelmed by the corporate nature of things, that there is no hope. And I admit, I look to people like Tucker, who are more senior than I am, and more optimistic than I am in a lot of ways, and it does give me hope. So I believe that he thinks that, if that's any consolation, especially for those of you who stick with the show, even though you kind of know my vibe, which is that I'm personally a very optimistic person, I'm a very blessed person, insanely blessed, uh, unfathomably, unfathomably blessed, but also sort of cynical about the direction of my country. Uh, I, I look at this stuff and it does make me feel a little bit better that him talking about if we got free speech, we're okay. And free speech is under attack, and that bothers me a great deal. I'm sure it bothers him a great deal, needless to say. But it's nice that he feels like if there are places that will broadcast ideas, thoughts, the words, as he put it, then there's hope. I like that. A nice message, and uh, it was fun to see him driving around his Florida neighborhood. He's got two homes. He's got one in Maine and one in Florida. Makes sense. If you're a Maine guy, it makes sense to have another home if you can afford it. From what I'm to understand, I've never been to Maine. I have not been to enough states. I've probably been to 30. I think it's high time I go to them all, and I feel a little bit bad about that. Um, it's just the nature of nature of things. Hard to get to all of them. Um, but the I would love to go to Maine. It's the by the way, before he was a just a, a generic Twitter. Uh, leftist. I I've read many Stephen King books, and a lot of them remain centric. A lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. Um. Anyway, I would like to point out that no, I've I've been to Texas. Bill, Bill's concerned. Spent a lot of time in Texas. Um. The um. The the I, I I could always spend more, but I've been to many many portions. Um. The um. It is it is noteworthy that he was driving around in his golf cart in his community with his wife, and he seems to really like his wife a lot, which is another thing I like about him. They've been together for a very long time, many decades, and I just think just a cool guy, genuinely cool guy, even when you disagree with him, and I like that a lot. I like people who you don't have to agree with. His point, last point that I should have brought up earlier that I think is really important is him noting that of all these big issues, there is no debate, and I find this to be genuinely lamentable, and this has been one of the disappointments of my life, is that there's no debate. There's merely narrative. Um, I had sort of a heartbreak this week in that a mainstream media outlet reached out to me to do to participate in something that for, I would say, two months I've in good faith prepared for in order to uh, provide a counter-narrative, a counter set of facts and information uh, supplying the perspective of this audience, the disenfranchised Americans, the populist, sort of right wing, but not really, because it's not really how I look at things. It's a, yeah, of course I'm a right wing person, but it's not, it's not really what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's more of the anti-woke, anti-left 
pro-freedom stuff, pro-individual stuff. Uh, and it's something that we, you, you'll hear about and it's with an a outlet that you've all of you've heard about, 100% of you. And I went into this for weeks and weeks and prepared for weeks. And then finally, at the last second, it sort of emerged that I thought that I need to back away from it because there's too too high of a likelihood they're going to weave a narrative that makes me look bad and Breitbart look bad. And not to say they will for sure, but it was just too clear to me a path they could take to edit stuff together in a way that was unfair. And it made me very upset. And not that I wasted time. It's a, there's Part of life is wasting time, and I, I hate wasting time, but I can get over that. Is that I want to live in an America where there's debate. I want to live in an America where people get platformed, even if their ideas are not good. Even if their ideas are absurd. But then, when their ideas are judged, you don't have to immediately go into a tribe. You don't need to immediately take one side or the other. You don't need to shame and blame. You can take the ideas and you can laugh at them if they're bad. You can debate them if they're bad or threatening. And then we can all move on and we can all feel a little bit more enlightened and a little bit more entertained. I think we're moving away from that very quickly. And this is not where things were when I entered this space 15 years ago. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that. I'm closing in October will be 10 years I've been editor-in-chief of Breitbart News. And I've been at Breitbart for 15 years um, as of January of this year. And it's just something to think about because as, the, the, as, as Kamala Harris would say, the significance of the passage of time. Um, and I think about how the media space has evolved. And almost every development has been negative. Because when I was coming into the space, it was the moment where the independent voices were on the rise. The Andrew Breitbarts were on the rise. And now we're at the moment where the corporate media are quashing the voices of the last few people who are not willing to toe the corporate line. Where speech is less important than the corporate will and the advertisers. And we know the advertisers are not to be trusted because we see what they're doing. Do you guys remember what the Maybelline slogan was? It was, maybe she's born with it. Well, who is the spokesperson for Maybelline now? It is a man, Dylan Mulvaney. That's right, not a joke, not a joke. It could be a Babylon Bee headline, a really good one too. But the spokesperson now for one of the most iconic makeup brands catered to women my entire life is now a bro who acts like a small girl, who seeks attention at every last turn. So our, our corporations are failing us. Entirely unnecessary. They need to just make makeup. But that's where it is. Is that I, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I've never used a Maybelline product. I never will. I don't think Mrs. Dr. Marlowe does. I, I, don't any, I don't know anyone in my life who's affected. But I do know that's not a good development. That our corporations see, okay, here is a person who is at the forefront of a trend, which is that we're all non-binary. And let's see if we can try to open up our market to the culture wars, try to sell some more product. 
even if it's anti-woman. Doesn't matter. Let's just do it. So the Tucker saga is not going to be done. Um, a Fox News producer, a person named Abby Grossberg, is... Uh, is is going to be releasing lots and lots of tapes, apparently 90 recordings from the network. I I won't say whether or not this individual looks like a mess. She's been on MSNBC, and I won't judge whether or not this person seems like a mess or not. Um, the ragging on Fox a lot to the Never Trump crowd was taking place on MSNBC. And... I will say that as far as I can tell, I don't think this individual has ever met Tucker Carlson. So going to claim that he's created some sort of an environment that is toxic, terrible. You know, you're allowed to have individuals and rugged individuals, American individualists in a corporate setting, not just on air. You're allowed to be like this at the office. That's true. You can do that. There's no rule that says you have to use a certain set of language uh, and some sort of approved way of communicating. You can't try ideas out. And you have to make things pleasant every second for every low-level person in a company. And any of you who have ever worked for me, and I'm sure there's a few of you in the audience, would know that I do try to treat people that way. I, I try to create a very pleasant work environment. I don't think I've ever yelled at a person maybe one time, two times, something like that. I don't. I, I, that's not how I operate. I don't think I've ever used misogynistic language. I've certainly never discriminated against anyone. New York Times has, has uh, written that up, saying I've got one of the most diverse newsrooms in all of media. So that's that's the. So we know that. But I'll tell you, it's not the end of the world if someone uses a bad word at the office. Just a thought. You can get over it and be a grown up. You don't need to go to MSNBC if someone does. Um, but we'll be treated to this, and it will be, as Tucker kind of noted, it will eat up way more headlines than any of the things that are legitimate threats to us. In the meantime, the main problems that afflict us will be getting worse on our watch. Wasting money in Ukraine, open border, China eating our lunch, waste of money, voting rights getting increasingly compromised as we build a system where it is more about manipulating elections and actually getting out the vote or, you know, convincing voters, I guess, better way of putting it. All that stuff's still going to be going on. Tech censorship is going to morph into uh, AI leftist extremism where we're going to program wokeism into every moment of our lives. All that is still going to be here. But uh, we will talk about whatever junior, junior, junior Tucker producer who never even met Tucker is going to complain about Tucker. So we'll be treated to that. That'll be nice. Tucker broadcasts from his homes. I've always laughed at it when I would go on Tucker's show from Washington, D.C. And this has happened multiple times. And I would be in the Washington, D.C. studios. And I would see Tucker on the air when I would get on the air and he would have a picture of the Capitol behind him, but it was green screen. He was not at the Capitol or else I would have been seeing him. He was in Maine or Florida or somewhere. That's how they did it. 
And this lawsuit is apparently against the New York office. So kind of ridiculous, right? Whatever is going to take place. We waste a bunch of our time, including on this show a little bit, but partially because it's entertaining. Um, but it, it is, and I do feel like we spend a lot of time on, on, on the bigger meteor issues. So I think we got a few minutes every so often. But anyway, uh, we'll see what happens next. Uh, one more fun one in the media. Rapper Rick Ross, who owns something like 30 Wingstop locations, has asked Don Lemon to send over his resume. Uh, it, it is a story that is goofy, low impact, but I saw it three or four times and I laughed every time. So now I'm bringing it up on the air. Too fun. So uh, saying, saying, Don Lemon, send me a resume. You could fry up some wings for us. A great pre-kend story. Pre-kend is almost upon us. As you guys know, the pre-kend is lunchtime Thursday to lunchtime Friday before the weekend starts. David Jolly, who's a Republican congressman who rode the coattails of the Bushes in the Congress and now is a professional complainer about the Republicans on MSNBC, has called Tucker Carlson a white nationalist. The smears are just remarkable, remarkable. Do not step out of line. Do not piss off the corporate establishment or you will be called a racist. Just know that all of this is designed to keep good people out of the public eye. And I think a lot of you understand this, which is why when people get canceled, your instinct is I'm going to buy their book. I'm going to subscribe to their podcast. I'm going to retweet them. I'm going to give them a shot because you see what's going on. You see the nature of how people are being treated in public life. If you hit a certain level of popularity of, uh, or impact, even though I don't like that expression, but if you hit a level of impact in the public life, if you're a conservative, you immediately get called racist. I mean, you guys know I've been through this many times. People reaching out to me from high school who I played club baseball with when I was 12 years old, 13 years old. Like, ask me if I'm a racist now. It happens. Like, of course not. The exact same person. We eat the same restaurants. We go to the same movies. Our kids go to the same preschools. Like, what? how are we be a racist? Like, well, well, that's what they were saying to BuzzFeed. Yeah, but how's BuzzFeed doing? They're out of business. All right, 866-95-PATRIOT, if you want to opine on that. A number of other stories before we take your calls. Uh, Disney has escalated their war on Florida, suing Ron DeSantis, claiming targeted campaign of government retaliation. It's kind of clever because it's true. It, of course, that it's targeted. Of course, DeSantis feels like that he's scoring political points by taking on Disney. Um, and that's why he's making a lot of the moves he's making. But also is um, DeSantis is right to do this stuff. The, the woke mouse, as we call him at Breitbart, is not a good influence right now in society. But this is interesting because tying up DeSantis in a lot of ways, I think that Disney's proved to be a more formidable foe, more clever, pushing back on some of DeSantis' moves. Um, but this is an escalating war, needless to say. So a targeted campaign of government retaliation is the claim. So the lawsuit was filed Wednesday, federal court. 
And the battle is over this thing known as Reedy Creek, which is a special district in Orlando where Disney has gotten all these protections. Um, and lately, Disney has been able to kind of self-govern in this area. Uh, this sort of political battle because they have, uh, the DeSantis has had this anti-grooming parental rights and education law, which has been crazily dubbed don't say gay, though it's nothing to do with saying gay or not. It prohibits public schools from indoctrinating students into the racial, gender, social justice warrior ideology, including the trans obsession, talking about sexual ideology. And Disney is suing DeSantis, saying that he waged a relentless campaign to weaponize government power against a company. Um, and this is the same day that DeSantis made another move against Disney that tried to undo a deal that Disney struck to maintain power over the district. So back and forth, and uh, DeSantis has got to win this one because he's got pretty big on it. And taking on a big company like this, if he's able to get the upper hand, I think it'll be very good for his national profile. And if he's not uh, able to do that, then it'll be weak for it. Um, and if he gets in the, the presidential race, will be very interesting, particularly for me, because Donald Trump has cast doubt on whether or not he would participate in, in Republican debates. And it does not feel like there's any candidates who are in there now who have a reasonable chance of beating Trump. The only one who might make sense is DeSantis. Trump has obviously attacked him numerous times, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. And everyone else seems to be running to kind of get the word out, get different issues out. So um, I, I'm, I don't... I kind of don't blame Trump for floating this, but I have to admit I'm a little disappointed and curious about your thoughts because I love the debates. They're so exciting. For people who think of politics as a spectator sport, I know the stakes are high. I get it, obviously. But the absurdity of the people we put up there as senators, presidents, etc. If you're not enjoying the spectator sport of it, I do think you're missing the point to some degree. And uh, Trump saying he's not going to do the debates kind of kind of bothered me, but not not like I'm judging Trump over it, which I do quite a bit. So I'm not, I'm not afraid to judge Trump, but just the thought that wow, we could really miss debates. They don't come up that often. They really don't. I was thinking about this, um, and I had a friend who asked me, who is a supporter of Breitbart, who's not in in. Or industry, uh, if if he thought I was going to get to host one of the Republican debates this year, and I said absolutely not, and then he said, but I've seen your name thrown out there, which is nice. Uh, Sean Spicer just volunteered it recently in a big piece that I host one of the debates, uh, which is very nice of him. Um, and I was like, it's not going to happen, and he said, why not? And I said, there is so many people who weigh in on these things, and I can guarantee you. Someone in power is going to be like, too risky. Too risky. Can't have that. We need to protect the candidates from the Breitbart guy. So, you know, I don't mean to be too negative. But I, I said to him, you know, the way the way I think about it is that I probably had conversations with, with Mrs. Dr. Marlowe and said, I think I'm going to get to host a presidential debate. I think I'm going to get to do it. But they were years ago, many years ago probably 10 years ago, where I thought, wow, 
this could really happen. I'm putting myself in a position in life where I could do this, you know, amazing thing. Get to participate in one of the greatest rituals we do. And now I'm very cynical on that because just the nature of the way the donors in the corporate class try to protect people in power. And I don't even necessarily blame them for doing that. If you have the money and the means to do so, then why would you risk things? Integrity is something that I value, something that you value, but the upper echelons of American decision-making and do not value it. We are not a particularly high integrity people anymore. And if we ever were, I don't know. I don't know if we were. All right, a few other things. Uh, Bernie Sanders has endorsed Joe Biden, so he's not going to run against him. Now, Sanders is old. Um, I think he's about exactly Biden's age. Um, so I'm not sure if this is a huge shock. And Biden is basically governing as a leftist. He's a little older than Biden. Um, and he's basically governing as a leftist. So uh, Biden is. So I don't think I don't think this is a shock. But still, I, I like when there's more variety. And if we're going to get coronation of Trump and coronation of Biden, and then they're not going to have a really interesting debate. I mean, Biden's very shy of the media. He has been since his first presidential run, 1988. Doesn't want to talk to him. Um, we're just not going to get as much the exchange of ideas. And that's what gets me excited, is this exchange of ideas. So that's part of the reason why I'm so excited about Robert Kennedy, even though you know my take on the vaccine stuff, is he and I are diametrically opposed. Um, but I find him incredibly compelling. And thus, he will get a lot of coverage for us at Breitbart. But if he gets ignored by the rest of the people who reach Democrat voters, then how much of a chance is he going to stand? So um, the East Palestine mayor has endorsed Donald Trump for president. Can you imagine that? He got there before anyone else, showed love for the area after the train derailment and chemical spill. Seems like a MAGA guy anyway, but I thought that was interesting. He's got a 32-point lead over the GOP field in a Fox News poll. 32 points over DeSantis and 47 points over Pence. So, my friend Larry Elder's in the race now, by the way. So, he's running. But again, I love Larry Elder. I mean, he's a essential part of my life. The I don't think I'd have the job I have with, without him, and I find him to be one of the most compelling Americans ever. But is he running to win, or is he running to get some ideas out there? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'll ask him eventually. I'm sure he'll come on. Um, other stuff going on. Hunter Biden is going to be heading to court, apparently, for a baby mama issue. We'll talk more about this in the show, where he's got a paternity case. He's not paying his alimony on the mystery Biden grandchild who gets ignored by the classiest family in the world. And his lawyers are refusing to speak with uh, CNN after meeting with the DOJ. So even friendly media, just going to ignore him on that because he's got an issue with the IRS. He's got a gun issue. There's a debt ceiling standoff that's going on in Washington. We have a lot of detail on this at Breitbart. It does not make for compelling radio. I will tell you that. But it is important. So the House GOP is passing a plan that raises the debt ceiling while also cutting spending. 
So it's going to raise the debt ceiling, which is sad but inevitable, but spending is going to get cut. So they're, they're, um, uh, it's not a clean debt ceiling increase. There's conditions. So the Senate Democrats in the White House have been hoping the House Republicans would just sort of uh, do a clean debt ceiling, and that would be uh, a, a the biggest win for, for the Democrats. So McCarthy is trying to leverage certain things, and he has the opportunity, I think, to pass something, or he has passed something, that could potentially avoid a default, still hike the debt limit, but also get some stuff for Republicans. It's a tough negotiation, and it's one where it's really... The, the, the results are never great, but the debt ceiling is going to go up. I mean, there's no way to stop it. So the question is, can the Republicans get anything? And that's the debate we're watching at Breitbart. And we will um, we'll keep you posted on that as time goes on. A few other ones. An ESPN reporter has been fired for using the C-word. Yes, that C-word, the one the Brits use all the time. But you know what's really fun about it? A woman. Less fun. An MS-13 gang member released from prison charged with killing an Uber Eats driver in a demonic murder. Uh, the photos are just unbelievable. Just a, 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 the, the man who was murdered, a as normal of a guy, almost like an AI composite of your average cis-hetero white male. And the murderer allegedly is a gang member who'd been released who looks incredibly angry and his face is covered in gang tattoos. Um, I don't know this individual's country of origin, but I will say Oscar Solis may or may not be the best that has been sent to us. Just saying. MS-13, of course, is LA-based, and it's sort of become associated with just El Salvador, but it's not really true. It started in LA, and then it ended up getting worse in El Salvador. Harvard has hired Yacinda Ardern, the former New Zealand Prime Minister, and the queen of all lockdowns, one of the most fascist people on the planet, and loves Xi Jinping, hired by Harvard. Because she's sort of a bubbly young person. I think she's, you know, 40-ish. Uh, and one of the most totalitarian rulers on the planet who literally canceled an election because of the pandemic to keep herself in power. Uh, should that not be a red flag? 42 years old. Um, so young person. Is, is f- as far as former leaders are. How can you move an election and not come under the ire of freedom-loving Americans? Like That is just completely bonkers to me. It just seems like something that you would think would be a high priority for people who, you know, had a few people get tour guides at the, get tours guided by police at the Capitol. I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek after the 2020 election. That those same people who would think that was such an outrage would be concerned that people who literally usurp power from the public 
it just seems seems amazing. Seems amazing that, the, that these are overlooked so long as you have the right politics. And by the right politics, I mean the left politics. All right, Leah Thomas did a big podcast. This is the man who was barely top 500 in swimming and just announced that he was a woman and then started breaking NCAA records. That pro-women's sports advocates use feminism to push transphobic beliefs. So this is a really interesting narrative. And I, I like that there's this podcast culture now where basically any conversation people have, if they think they can be somewhat interesting, they just record it and call the podcast. So this creates a lot of noise, but it also has a product, has a productive element to it um, because you really get to hear how people think unfiltered. And so Leah Thomas says that basically coming after the women who don't think that he should be allowed to beat them in sports. So all of you feminists out there, all of you people who've been told your whole life that a elevated society treats women equally, that you need to stand down. You need to back off if you think that you should be treated as well as men who act like women. Good stuff. Some good news. Uh, Kim Fox, the woke Soros-backed prosecutor who bungled the Juicy Smoulier case will not seek re-election. Now, of course, I'm not optimistic that it's going to improve things, but it's good news nonetheless. Like, why not? Let's, let's see the shakeup. Pleasure to meet Raven Harrison today on the air. She ran for Congress, did not succeed, and then is now in the consulting game and has a lot of good takes on uh, what's going on politically. And part of it's because she's got a really crazily cool background. She gets into some of that, but most of the conversation is about the state of national politics. And uh, you can hear it right now. Raven, great to meet you. Great to be here. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, where do you want to begin? Do you want to start with some of the polling that's going on? We've got some polls suggesting that Trump and Biden are neither of them particularly popular. Do you have a reaction to this? I do. Um, as a strategist, I, I, I don't believe that those are consistent. I think it shows more than anything that Americans have poll fatigue, <laughs> that they're yeah. kind of over these polls. But, um, I mean, the cons- polls have been consistent about Biden. There was one in January from Gallup that said 73% of Democrats don't want him to run. And uh, now we're seeing something similar. But the, tr- the polls, as far as Trump v. Biden, don't seem to be consistent as of yet. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I think that the I, I've always kind of been a poll skeptic. And I think some years the polls get it right. Some years the polls don't. But I'm looking at the polls now, and I'm uh, I don't I don't I'm not gleaning much out of them, and I don't know how much it matters anymore. Also, considering that it seems like both political parties are not going to have much of a primary at, at this point, um, that it's a what do we what are we even testing at this point? And it's a big industry, just like anything else. So the polling industry yeah. wants to wants to make some money, and they want to be in the in the conversation. Uh, is there anything that you're seeing that's a trend that you think people might be missing? Well, I feel like um, the numbers are consistent if you take them separately. Um, the the numbers growing about uh, concerns over Biden have been consistent 
the one thing that Trump is leading the pack in the Republican sector seem to be consistent. Um, and right now it seems to be the spin going on uh, on both sides. Uh, right now, as we're speaking, they are arguing over the debt ceiling, uh, which is arguably one of the most important things that Americans are facing, especially in their, in their kitchen table issues they've expressed are top of their priority. Sure. So do you have a take on how that debate's going on? Well, um, it depends on who you ask. So right now, uh, as far as how that's going, most Americans, I mean, the polls, if we're going to be doing polls, are consistent that America's not going in the right direction, that we are, they believe that the government is failing, their trust in government. Uh, it said the poll, that same Gallup poll that came out said the American distrust of the government has overtaken their concerns over inflation and border security. And that's really saying something, that Americans are outwardly expressing for the first time that they're concern over these debates. So all it seems to be right now is political posturing on both sides. But now we have shots fired on the Republican side. Um, so there's a hostile environment growing there. It's just while the other side of the Democrats are just trying to lock and step, which is what their strategy normally is, to get behind one person, that's it, that's yeah. where we're going, regardless. Do you think that the reason, well, what, what do you think the reason is that some of these issues that are the kitchen table issues, that border security, which is arguably the worst it's ever been, and, um, you know, inflation, which is not as bad as it was a year ago, but it's still very bad, that why those have sort of dropped down the list? Is it merely because people, again, are fatigued or they tired of it or people have all talked out on it or uh, people have given up hope or is there something else? Well, I think it's a combination. I, the, the issue stems from, you know, when you look at how dramatic the swings are, the issues are, when this first um, match of Trump versus Biden occurred, you're, we're coming from a context of having a secure border, uh, low inflation, a thriving, booming economy, stock market, energy independence. So people had the luxury, the ability to focus on the personality traits of, you know, are we okay with you know, Trump's style and things like this. So, and that's what the Democrats made this about. Their platform was, we're not Trump. That was everything. Uh, but now, two years in, uh, we've had the midterms where Democrats have lost full control of the government, but the issues remain. Uh, we're at 5% inflation now, but that's down from 9%. Um, that's like saying, do you want to be shot or stabbed? I mean, so we're, <laughs> right, Americans right. are basically getting crunched. At the, the borders wide open, we have seven to nine million, depending on what estimates, of people who have crossed our border illegally and they're still coming in uh, by the day. So we are trillions of dollars. We're up to $31 trillion in debt, and we have real security concerns. We are now in a war in Ukraine. Americans didn't know anything about. So whether whichever side you believe, everything they said Trump was going to do, he's going to get us into a war. He's going to collapse the economy. Everything that they accuse Trump on Trump of has been happening in some degree under Biden. Um, yeah. And for the record, I would, I, I, I try being shot. Let's just see how it goes. It's the, if I choose being shot or stabbed, both sound terrible, but I, I got a preference. It's the, the stab sounds bad. <laughs> I don't, uh, I, I don't want to do that one. 
That sounds really bad for me. Um, so, so Trump seems to be getting a, his approval rating seems to be going up a little bit since some of the political targeting has intensified, particularly with the ridiculous arrest in New York. Uh, is this, the, what do you think the strategy is here from the Democrats? Because I, I, my, my opinion is they actually want to see Trump get nominated. Uh, they think he's going to be very vulnerable in a general election. And why wouldn't they think that? But of course, it's a higher wire act because he's probably the person they would least like to see as president. Correct. Usually uh, that seems to be the trend is whoever they say they don't mind running against is who they truly don't want to run against. And he is that person. And the main reason is because um, they have not been able to stop him. They have been relentless in their attacks on President Trump since he came down the escalators. They have thrown literally everything at this man in the kitchen sink, and they can't stop him. After the the investigation, the Russia, that turned out to be a hoax, um, he became more popular. Impeachment one, more popular. Impeachment two, more popular. And the raid of Mar-a-Lago just sent um, voters over the edge. So he has become, he's lapping the field now by double digits. It's become more popular, and the Democrats are still, this just shows a level of desperation. They are so desperate to get him out that they're just, we're back to eight-year-old, you know, possibly misdemeanor charges that we're trumping up. I mean, it is just absolutely unreal. And Americans are overwhelmingly rejecting this and saying, we are tired of this. We are tired of you weaponizing the government and, quite frankly, get back to work. Yeah, interesting. Is there anything you're seeing in the polls that might not be top line issues that might glean where the public really is at? Because uh, this is something that uh, in in an era where I uh, trusted polling more, you could really sometimes you look deeper into the polling data and you could see where people were really thinking. Um, but now I don't even know if it matters because it just seems like the key to winning elections is who can turn in more mail-in votes. And that's sort of the name of the game. Uh, but is there anything that you're you're seeing that uh, would, would surprise people? Well, I think that what I'm seeing is that there are issues that have come up. The shift for people saying that their biggest concern is leadership and government is really huge and telling. And if you take the layers off of that, what people are basically saying is Americans are not used to this kind of sustained um, inflation. They just aren't. We're used yeah. to riding these waves of, you know, sometimes it's a little higher, sometimes it's a little lower, but we have never had this consistently high um, inflation. We've never had this perpetual crisis mode. I mean, we've always had something going on as America, but we this, this perpetual crisis mode, Afghanistan withdrawal, now we're in Ukraine, billions of dollars, billions of aid. Uh, we stopped our energy independence. So now we're not exporting. We're reliant on these people who are enemies of ours. Um, the shortages, unprecedented shortages of, of having um, baby food not being available, uh, formula shortages, uh, things being stuck on shipping containers. Americans are not used to seeing this, and this is not indicative of the kind of thriving America most people are used to living in. So for short periods of time, Americans tend to be very resilient. But over this long haul, it's showing that it is really wearing on them. These kitchen table issues have become big dining room, ballroom issues, and that they have to be resolved. Do you think that the Amer that Americans blame Biden, though, for this? Because it feels like he's gotten away with so much over the last 50 years. Do you think he's getting direct blame? 
I do believe that he's getting direct blame um, now. He's, not, he's still being covered for heavily, I and mean, he's under investigation right now. They've been coming after Trump, so we have an interesting Super Bowl of weaponization of the of the government right now. But I do believe that people are blaming Biden because they have had, up until the midterms, they had full control. And that was his platform from day one. He just started unrolling the border policy, the energy independence. So those were conscious decisions the Democrats made because they wanted to run this clean, green energy agenda um, that happens to run on dirty fossil fuels. But they they pushed and they went part of, okay, we're going to undo everything that was Trump. And now we seem to be seeing the aftermath that Americans are really paying the price. And they do focus on Biden. A lot of them are just fatigued of what's going to happen. They seem to be able to operate without impunity right now. So what's the path to cementing that electorally, considering how Trump does engender so much negativity? He seems to inevitably be the nominee here uh, for the Republican Party. I don't know if there's there's really any stop on that train heading down the tracks. And, um, you know, we all like Trump in this audience, I think, to various degrees. The question is, though, is that how do we mitigate against a repeat of 2020 where Biden campaigned from a basement, did nothing and still got the most votes allegedly in history? Yes. And that is we have to kind of get to the front lines. I, I tell people that nobody wins the war from the back seat. It's time to to get involved. So what has to happen is it has to start at the, the local level. We have most of the precinct chairs and local level government uh, positions are not filled in many of these states. So we don't have the ability to swing these elections. That's the first thing. The second thing is what a lot of people don't realize is it's not these COVID protocols, these mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting. A lot of these were put in under the guise of the pandemic. Well, we are beyond those parameters now so we should we either have to fight fire with fire get out there if they ballot harvest we ballot harvest if they mail in ballots we mail in ballots they we have to match them with this and then once we have control you can change back these policies many of which have been changed by the democrats since they've taken control so that's going to be the way to do it there and we have to also push our elected officials the days of letting our kind of soft milk toke Republicans who, you know, get in there and sell out are are well behind us. We have to be pushing these legislators. If you haven't called your Congress people, your legislators, and said, "Hey, you better not be raising this debt ceiling. You better require a balanced budget." That's Congress's fundamental job. The number one job for them is to balance the budget, and we have not had one since '96. A balanced budget since Congress. So, if they can't do the primary thing that they're elected to do, then what are they doing? And that's where Americans now need to realize that they do have a role in shaping this country. You have to hold their feet to the fire. You have to allow uh, them, you have to push them to do more of their job instead of allowing them to make great campaign speeches because our country is literally at stake right now. So this is what it's going to require is everybody kind of reporting to the line. Trump can't carry it alone. He's not our savior. God is our savior. But we need, everybody needs to get involved. Uh, wise words and very stirring. Uh, Raven, I was just reading up on you a little bit before the interview, and you got a really interesting background. Uh, it says that you grew up in war zones. That's wild. Uh, could you share some of that with us? Well, yes. Um, I am. I have a really unique pedigree in that both my parents, my mother and my father, are retired United States Air Force lieutenant colonels, and I'm married to a retired Air Force C-17 pilot. Uh, and we have two wow. children. But I... 
Um, so my parents grew up, we grew up, um, I lived in Germany when the Berlin Wall was still up. So I've seen communism. I've lived in the Cold War. I've lived through the shortages uh, where you can't shop on certain days. Women aren't allowed to drive in certain places. And it's being in these places and growing up around the world, you realize how good you have it in America, how blessed we are to live in this country. But to see it come full circle, that was something we always left behind. We, it was nice to be able to get on a plane and leave those war zones behind, leave behind the shortages and the loss of freedom and things, and then come back to America where we're free. It's really disturbing to see it on our shores. Uh, it certainly is. And when did you realize that you were conservative and wanted to dedicate your life to these sort of causes? Well, I've always been conservative and I've always had uh, my parents are there's no victims in our house for survivors. So we've always had the warrior spirit. But the truth is, is that uh, my calling came in 20 March of 2017 when my eight year old, my then eight year old daughter was expelled from school uh, for voting for Trump in a mock election we knew nothing about. Uh, we wow. had voted for President Trump, but we got a call from the school saying, come pick her up. She's being expelled. And I, we went, oh, my goodness. We ran to the school. And um, I, I mean, just couldn't believe it. My husband and I were sitting there. My daughter was hysterically traumatized, hyperventilating. And they said, well, we called you because, um, you know, she voted for Trump. And we were like, so what? She's eight. She can't vote for anybody. And they said, well, she's making these decisions now. And they attempted to expel her from school. And we just that was the sign. People say, give me a sign. That was the sign. And that's when the conservative warrior was born. And I kicked into high gear. I didn't know anything about CRT. I didn't realize um, our country was under attack. And I didn't realize that this was going to be my path. But I'm really grateful that God chose me for a time such as this, because we, we definitely have work to do. What did what, what was the rationale? How could they do that? It just seems that just seems so much. It seems like such an over, yeah. It was, it was what we realized then, and it was when I came home that day, we immediately, not kind of knowing what we had our hands around, we immediately um, pulled her out and my, excuse me, my son out of school, and um, we put them in homeschool not knowing what that meant, but I got home that day and I emptied everything we had taken out of her desk, and I went through and I realized we had a shadow curriculum. I realized that what they were telling mm-hmm. parents they were teaching and what they were actually teaching, and this is outlined in my book as well, is different. So they, they have placation, and I, when my daughter came in a little bit later that evening, I said, Patience, I've never seen this book before. I said, where did this come from? And she goes, this is one of our stay-at-school books. I said, what the heck is a stay-at-school book? Stay-at-school. And she goes, Whoa. we're not allowed to bring these home. And I said, really? Wow. And she goes, we get detention if we bring these home. And I, again, thought it was an isolated issue until we moved back to my home state of Texas and decided to run. And I put her in her Christian school saying, okay, we're going to make sure she gets a great God-centered education, even if I have to pay for it. And about three months into that um, education, when I thought we were kind of past that window, um, she came home and said, I'm the only one that's not vaccinated in my class. And I said, well, how could you possibly know that? And she said, because they access. And they showed a video on how safe the vaccine is. And they went around and asked everybody who took it. And when I said I didn't, they, they told me to leave class. And I said, excuse me? And I said, please tell me you're kidding. You have to be kidding. And I went to the school, and you're not going to believe the answer I got. I went to the school thinking that my daughter was kind of sensationalizing and this can't yeah. happen. And the school's response was, Jesus would want you to take the vaccine. 
I said, excuse me? And she said, Jesus would be a fan of anything that protected his flock. And I said, Jesus put his hands on lepers. And um, I just could not believe it. So that was telling me that it wasn't just an isolated, it's systematic, it's an assault on our children, and I absolutely will not stand by. And it's been, a lot of parents are with me. Well, what, what part of the country were you in when this took place? Well, the uh, issue with Trump, we were in Orange County, California, where my husband uh-huh. is from. And uh, here with the Christian school was right here in, in, in Dallas, Texas. Wow, that's amazing. Our cities are just just getting overrun by insane people. Um, Raven, I really appreciate you. RavenHarrison.com. You've got a book coming out next month, Raven's Mantle, Fighting the Betrayal of America. Do you want to tease that a little bit? And people can pick it up. Uh, It's on Amazon if you want to go get it. Oh, sure. It's uh, it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's available for pre-sale now, and it does come out, you know, in, in print next month. And basically, I'm going to take Patriots through what it was like to grow up in the Cold War, uh, what this experience with my daughter has led to, and basically, we're just gonna we're on a loop right now for history. Those who don't know it will repeat it, and so we are we're gonna put it on the forefront, raw and unfiltered. And this is what patriots need to see. You can't fix what you don't acknowledge. So once we can discern where we are, then we know now how not to get back here. Very nice. Well, it's great to meet you, and thanks for all the insight. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Raven. We'll be right back. I'm American made. I got American parts. That is today's broadcast. Thanks so much to the team, which is Zach Jones, Bill Barnett, and Robert Marlowe, as well as all of you. And we'll talk to you next time. Raise the flag.